Let me ask you a question. Are you setting up your future in music to give you the life that you want? Well, you should. And let's discuss that today. Welcome to episode 10 of Behind the Band, a business podcast where we talk about growing your music career by talking with really awesome artists and people from the industry. Hey, my name is David, and I'm honored that you've decided to join me today. We have Emily Scott Robinson on as a guest, and real excited to catch up with her just for her to share her story. But also one of the things that I think is really unique about her is that she has been very intentional about building the life that she wants for herself. Her and her husband live in an RV, so that's what they take out on tour, travel the country, or just they feel like parking it somewhere for a couple of months, like they're kind of forced to right now during uh, coronavirus. They just park and hang out somewhere. So real glad that we got a chance to catch up with her. So without further ado, would love just to jump into my conversation now with Emily Scott Robinson. All right, I'm here with Emily Scott Robinson. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm hanging out at home. <laughs> Been home since March 9th, and I'm going to be home for the foreseeable future right now, <laughs> writing songs <laughs> and baking bread <laughs> and doing online shows. Yeah. Nice. Well, super thankful that you had the chance just to sit down and talk with us and share a little bit of insight in your, your story. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Would you just give us a little bit of an overview on your story? I started playing guitar and singing when I was in high school and uh, did not follow a Taylor Swift type path whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I Let's see. I, I fell in love with female folk singers, Joni Mitchell, Dar Williams, Ani DeFranco, played guitar and sang just as a, as a hobby, as a thing that I loved to do uh, for years and through college. And then after I graduated college, I traveled uh, to Central America. I worked as a social worker. Um, I had several different jobs kind of within the social work nonprofit field, working with homeless families, working with uh, survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And then when I was, I was still just like playing on the side on weekends and stuff, you know, from time to time, play open mics or coffee shops just with friends for fun. And I pretty much thought that I had lost my love for music because I had this weekly gig in the summer at a restaurant. And it was a three-hour gig, and I was having a slog of PA there. And wow. <laughs> um, and just play all these covers in the like blazing hot sun. And I thought, I don't think I like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I just had kind of lost the joy of it. And I signed up on a whim for a songwriting camp. It's called Song School. It's at Planet Bluegrass in Lyons, Colorado. And it's uh, an amazing songwriting camp that happens every year. Uh, in fact, I think it will probably still try to happen this year. It's in August. And I went and for the very first time, I took some songwriting classes and I sat in groups and circles with people who still had a lot of love and joy for their music. And I had written a little bit, uh, but never very much because I found it difficult. And so I just thought, well, if it's hard for me, I must not be good at it because I believed that songwriting just 
you know, sort of got handed down to you directly from your muse and that that must be how it worked for Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell because I'd never heard about their process and I had never heard about them writing um, crappy songs. And so I just thought I wasn't good at it. And then I, I actually learned more of the process and the craft and started to experiment and play and find some more joy in it. And that week I came back home and I said to my husband, I think that this is actually what I meant to do. It was like I had rediscovered or discovered a dream that had always been buried in a very deep place inside me that I'd never fully uncovered. I'd had all these signs along the way that that was what I was, that this is what I was meant to do. But I really, I was 26 when I went to that camp and I had never considered being a full-time musician. I, I slowly started writing. I learned, started learning the craft. I mean, I feel like I'm still a beginner in so many ways of songwriting <laughs> because it's something you could spend your life doing and every song has a new thing to teach you. That's when I decided that the burnout I was experiencing in my regular jobs was something that you know, was pushing me in another direction. And so at 27, I quit my full-time job. And when I started working again, my husband and I traveled a little bit and I took some time off to write. And when I started working again, I worked part-time. And I remember I was visiting some of my friends in Nashville and I was with one of my friends who's an amazing songwriter in Nashville. His name is Robbie Hecht. And we were out one night and he introduced me to somebody and I said, they said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I'm a Spanish interpreter, which is what I was doing at the time because I'm fluent in Spanish. That was my day job. And I said, but I'm also a songwriter and I'm, I'm working on starting my career in music. And after that, he just turned to me and he goes, you know, you should just tell people you're a songwriter. <laughs> and he, he wasn't saying it in a, in a critical way he just was like you know you can tell people that you're a songwriter because that is what you're doing and that's your that's your purpose and and it was just this beautiful moment where it was like a friend looked at me and said to me you have permission to say that you're a musician even if you still have a day job because my identity was not my day job at that time anymore I really wanted my identity to be a musician, a full-time musician. So I'd been working part-time. My husband and I had been saving money. And we wanted to do two things at once. So we were really excited. We wanted to move into an RV full-time and travel around the country and also launch my full-time music career at the same time, basically. So what we were doing was we were both going to work, 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 and then quit our day jobs, quit our jobs at the same time, buy the RV and and have enough of a savings so that we could live off of, you know, our savings and I could take this leap into touring, right? And that's exactly what we did. We did that in 2016 and it's been a little over four years and things have just grown exponentially for me. Like taking that risk was the best decision I could have made. It was it was like, you know, you have to let go of something in order for something new to come into your life. And 
I say, you know, I when I look back, I say, well, you know, I think of all the ways in which we mitigated the risk, in which we planned for it. We had money. We had savings. We were smart about it, right? I have a, a, a an amazing supportive partner. But it did take a lot of courage to work up to that point and just say, I'm getting rid of the other things in my life that are not what I want to be doing in the next five or 10 years. And I'm just doing music. And it was great. It was so awesome. I really, that year in 2016, I released my first album. It was mostly just eight acoustic demo type recordings. It was my first time going seriously into a studio, just me and my guitar. And that is the record that I toured on for two years and that's called Magnolia Queen and then I had written enough songs I'd written 12 new songs on the road traveling in the RV and it I was like oh I think I have an album and so early 2018 I went into the studio in Nashville worked with an amazing producer named Nielsen Hubbard and um a great team of musicians in Nashville to make my first real studio album um, called Traveling Mercies, where I had other other instrumentalists on there, and I had a producer helping me, helping me um, hone the vision for the record and helping me create the sound that I wanted. And it was this amazing experience. And that album, recorded in 2018, came out in its full form a year later. Um, Traveling Mercies really broke me through to the to the level of being recognized by my music genre by the industry um getting national press from rolling stone and billboard american songwriter um no depression all of these organizations and press people (laughs) who work uh in my world of of country and americana so it's been such a sweet ride and Four years into running my own business, I'm, I love waking up every day and I love what I do and I love running the business side. I struggle often with the songwriting side because that's the part that's most mystical to me. (laughs) I say this as I'm editing a new song today. It can feel like, (laughs) you know, emails, those are easy to pin down. I know what I need to do for social media. I know, um, all the kind of clerical and accounting work that I have to do for my business. But every time I sit down to work on a song, there's a lot more unknown at at play in that situation. So that is the hardest part for me, but it's also the most rewarding because, you know, it just forces me to kind of break open parts of myself and connect with people. And, and then touring is obviously... It's my favorite part. My favorite part of the whole thing is playing live shows. And so I definitely, during this quarantine, had an emotional breakdown a couple weeks ago when it occurred to me that it's probably going to be a whole year before touring even resembles what it was resembling before. Yeah. Um, you know, I just like cried. I was so sad because <laughs> I, I had been making it work, making it work, making it work with these online shows and saying, this is fine. This is fine. You know, kind of like that meme with a dog. That's like yep. the cartoon dog with the sipping the coffee and the fire all around them. And I'm like, this is fine. This is totally fine. And then one day I was like, I'm not fine. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just 
poke at a couple little things that you said in there. First one, kind of some mindset stuff that's, I think, really interesting in your story is that when you were first experimenting with songwriting, you said, well, if it's hard for me, I must not be good at it, which is a really interesting mindset, which is, I I think a lot of us have that. That is absolutely a lie we need to get out of our heads. Oh my God. It is the biggest, biggest lie. (laughs) It's, It's the most harmful and destructive lie. It's I am a firstborn child. I was a high achiever in school (laughs) and, you know, one of those kind of straight A student people pleaser kids. And so when something is hard for me, I just it would be easier for me to just shy away from it and just go, well, I'm not I'm not good at this. So why would I spend my time doing this? Um, And I have had to build a lot of resilience as an adult. Because I've seen that even though songwriting is is hard, you know, and it's not hard all the time. Sometimes it's easy. Those days are great. <laughs> you know, when I have that day like once a, once a month. But I've had to build a lot of resilience as an adult and just go and just kind of hold my own feet to the fire and say, yeah, I know it's hard, but you don't get anything worthwhile. Nothing worthwhile comes easy you know, or comes incredibly easy or without a little bit of uh, sweat and tears and struggle. And all the songs that I have, that I have wrestled with and struggled over, those have been such great songs and songs that were so worthwhile. Once I wrote them, the connection that I had with my audience and the people who told me, oh, this song means so much to me, uh, that struggle was worth it. Once I once I wrote the song. So I I really, I was a kid who was like used to being good at the things and not used to going outside of my comfort zone and failing. And so I've had to learn how to do that as an adult. The reason why I bring that up, not only just because it's, it's not a very healthy mindset to have for anyone, but I think especially in music, there's often this duality between the business side and the creative side. And for a lot of us, we get into it because we love the art. Of it, We love playing, we love writing, whatever that is for you, but maybe you're not quite as good at the business side. And then for some people, it's like, oh, you know, I really love the organizational side of doing music. I love coordinating shows, but like, man, to get me to sit down and write a song is, is like pulling teeth emotionally as much as I love music, you know? And so I just wanted to highlight that just to like encourage people because remember, you're a person that can learn and grow. So... Thank you so much for bringing that up. Oh my gosh, it's so it's just so important. And also like nothing radical happens unless you go outside of your comfort zone. And I am somebody who is very risk averse and I really like my comfort zone and so <laughs> um I I really have had to learn how to push myself cuz I'm all, I am my own boss. Nobody is pushing me. Yeah. I'm the only one who can do that. And so to do the inner work and find the courage and to push myself out of a place of love and out of a place of sort of compassionately knowing what I'm capable of rather than pushing myself out of a place of uh shame or self-flagellation or trying to prove myself to the world um i think actually there is a there's a really huge energetic difference between 
the different kinds of ways in which we push ourselves. And, you know, it's like, it's sort of like standing on the edge of a 30 foot. I'm trying to think of like the times that I've jumped off a rock into a body of water or something and everyone is down below like come on you can do it you know and I'm just afraid to take the leap and I know it's going to be safe and people have gone ahead and done it and but the water's going to be cold and I kind of keep like counting down you know it's like you just have to do it so (laughs) well on the topic of of feeling a little risk averse you said something else that was really interesting um when your friend told you Emily you can tell people you are a songwriter and a musician. You have that permission to say you're a musician, even if you have a day job. That is a great mindset to also have because I think so often we let kind of this imposter syndrome get in the way of ourselves because we think, oh, well, I'm not a musician yet because I have a day job. I haven't jumped in full time. Um, I'm not a real musician. And that's a dangerous mindset because if you don't let yourself just like commit to saying you're a musician at a certain point, are you ever actually going to achieve that? Yes. Yes. It was so, it was like such a beautiful moment of my friend, this friend of mine, Robbie, just seeing me because he was one of my friends who saw me and heard my songs before I was doing music full time, just looking at me and, and really giving me the permission that I was having a hard time giving myself. Imposter syndrome, there's two sides to the coin. And one is that often we feel really, I think artists, some of the greatest artists often feel really tortured and insecure. I think lots and lots of people with public faces and public careers, I love listening to interviews with actors and comedians because they experience a similar, and you know, and writers, they experience some the similar imposter syndrome um, where I listen to them talk about their feelings of, of not belonging or their feelings of not being good enough. And I think, oh my God, but your book changed my life. Your show taught me a way of looking at the world. You know, last night I was playing a Facebook live show and I had this new song and I played it a couple weeks ago and people keep asking me to play it again. And they're like, you should release this. You should do this. You should share this song. You should put on Spotify. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if the, and I woke up with the most tremendous kind of fear and vulnerability hangover. Cause I essentially promised to all my fans that sure, I was going to release this like acoustic demo of a new song. And and I emailed it to my distribution guy last night. And I was like, here's my demo. And then I woke up and I was like, I go, oh my God, the song is too long. It's too wordy. It's not, there's not enough of a melodic arc. There's not this, there's not that. And I was like, all morning, I've been crippled with insecurities about this song. (laughs) And everybody I sent it to was like, this is great. This is beautiful. You should just do it this way. And so I'm trying to find the middle ground between not overthinking it and and like allowing myself to share something that's fresh that feels like kind of a draft um that's vulnerable while still also saying to myself it's okay for me to sit with this song if it feels like it's too long let me see if i can edit it down a little and and also be releasing something that i feel good about releasing a couple of the things that you said in your story um you described yourself as running your own business and talking about yourself as having to be your own boss. 
Can you share a little bit about what that means for you and how you've structured your business? Yeah, so I don't have any kind of traditional record label deal. Um, I have retained complete ownership, publishing and rights to all of my music. I am my own manager. I work with a, like a essentially a team of people who sort of work uh, for me or with me. So I signed a two-year uh, distribution, or maybe it's three. <laughs> it's either two or three. I need to go back and look. But I, a distribution deal for my record, Traveling Mercies. Um, and in exchange for a percentage of those profits, my distribution company, uh, it, which does an amazing job of promoting my songs to Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, Pandora, um, and managing the distribution. And I just get like a quarterly check from them uh, for all of that. But I still retain ownership of my masters. Um, so that's how like the digital side works. Um and for my album release, what I basically did, and this was a little this was a little over a year ago, was I raised money on Kickstarter from my fans. It was my first Kickstarter. I raised over 30000 and used that money to put together my own label for the release. And so hired a publicist, then used it to make videos and, and make merch and... Um, pay for album art and photography and and all of these other promotional costs of the record and so I really liked that because I I got to say I paid for this record and my fan because I paid for to make the record but my fans paid to help me put together my own record label and so I got to say you know these are my goals. These are the things I want. I got to say yes or no to certain uh, things. And it ended up being a really successful release. And I, you know, with the help of an incredible team, the team I hired um, for the bulk of the release was uh, Brooklyn Basement Records. And they're an incredible team. They did my publicity and they did video work and some marketing and promotion stuff. So, and then on the touring side, I am... Um, I work with APA, uh, which is a great booking agency, and my agent uh, books all my shows, and they take a small percentage of what I make on my live shows. But yeah, I I manage myself. I run, do all my own taxes. I <laughs> I'm probably getting to the point this year will probably be the last year I can handle doing my own taxes. Then I think I'm gonna have to hire someone. When COVID-19 hit, I was the one applying for relief funding from the Small Business Administration because I'm a small business. And I get to say, I get the ultimate yes or no to anything. And I really, really like that. And I get to work with people and hire people who I trust. I like that amount of um, autonomy that I have. And also, some sometimes when you meet young artists or artists who are early on in their music careers the uh the idea that, that they have the idea that all of us sort of have at the beginning is oh well you want to get signed to a record label right and back in the 70s and 80s and 90s you could get development deals from record labels and they would put lots of money into promoting you and helping you get your first recordings out and and developing you as an artist and now it's almost backwards you 
actually have to do all of that on your own and become a successful musician. This is how I see it. And then you can go shop to a record label and say, hey, look at this successful thing that I've built. I have, you know, this many thousands of fans and these are the, I sell 500 tickets at, you know, in these markets. And do you want a piece of this <laughs> to help me yeah. grow and reach the next level? So a lot of people, when they say, I'm going to launch a music project, they're not quite sure what to do tactically to view it as a business. It's kind of like, I'll send out some emails to local venues and maybe I'll get a gig at some point this month. What was kind of that development process for starting to treat your music project as a business? Like, how how did that really come into its own as a business. Yeah. So I started treating it as a business before I quit my day job. Some of the first things I did was make some recordings, which at the time I, you know, had available on Bandcamp. I let all my friends and family know via Facebook uh, and Instagram that I was going to pursue this. I remember posting something on like New Year's Day and saying, um, Hi, everyone. I just want to let you know that I want to say it here. And I really said it to my community. I said, I've been feeling the pull to do music full time. That's what I'm working towards. That's the dream I'm building. And in that spirit, I'm sharing some of my first original songs with you. And I was starting with my friends and family. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, now that I've posted this, I can't go back on this. You know, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> everybody knows, you know, that if I give up, they'll all know I've given up. And so I slowly started doing the things I needed to do to uh, increase my legitimacy. So I uh had a Bandcamp page with a bio. I got some photography done. I eventually had my own website built um, that was not Bandcamp. Um, I opened a business checking account. I um, registered with a performing rights organization um, with ASCAP. And I recorded my first batch of original songs. I started competing and local open mic nights. Um, I started playing uh, in bars and restaurants and, and getting gigs and reporting my income as a musician and doing on, a, you know, in, in tax world, uh, treating it as a business and, and reporting my profits and losses. And I did that for a year and a half before I started uh, doing this full time. And the other thing that really kind of helped increase my legitimacy is I started entering um, songwriting competitions. And so I entered a lyric contest for American Songwriter Magazine, and I won that. That was my very first piece of press in a magazine. <laughs> um, time to add that to my website. Just all of these sort of one thing at a time. And I remember being really self-conscious in 2015 that I was such a beginner looking at all these people who are so much further down the road from me and being so jealous of them and feeling really insecure about how much of a beginner I was. But I just had to get over that. I just had to say, it doesn't matter. You are talented and you're passionate and you just have to, you have to be a beginner first. You don't get to fast forward through that part. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's, those are the first steps that I took. And then it was uh, then it was booking shows in other places. It was, you know, 
posting on Facebook and saying, hey guys, I want to do a tour of house concerts or small venues around the country. Um, tell me where I should play and, and booking my own tours. Uh, and that's, you, you have to do that before you have a booking agent because then you won't understand how amazing your booking agent is, <laughs> truly is until somebody <laughs> else takes that work on for you. Um, but I just had to do it all myself and understand what it was like, um, start uploading my own songs to Spotify and YouTube and, and handling all my own <laughs> distribution. I'm just really DIY learning as I went, watching what other musicians were doing, paying really close attention and, and applying for opportunities, showing up in places where, um, where other industry people were. I went to Folk Alliance International, which is a big music conference. I went to South by Southwest. I went to uh, Americana Fest and I, I made friends and, you know, uh, with other people who were also starting out and also building their businesses. And, you know, we would give each other advice and help each other promote each other's projects and, you just have to start somewhere. And that, so those are all the things that, that I did to um, start making this more of a legitimate business. So many people, when they're starting out, have this fear of, oh my goodness, there's so much that I could be doing. I know I should have a better social media presence. I know I should have a better website. I know I should be getting better shows. I know I should have better photography. And it's almost just like an overwhelm. I would say that I spent the first two to three years of my music career in somewhat of a manic state because I just felt like I wasn't where I wanted to be yet. And and I really had to uh, sit with those feelings and try and find some sense of peace and acceptance for where I was and just go, listen, you're never going to get to be here again. So you have to enjoy this part of the journey and take it for what it is um, and build it with integrity. But I still feel, you know, I've been on the road for four years and we've just now settled into a little bit more of a permanent spot and we got Wi-Fi in the RV um, <laughs> just last week. So let me tell you, I've been basically borrowing Wi-Fi for four years um, or doing everything <laughs> on my phone. And David, you would not believe how much stuff I now am catching up on, uploading videos to YouTube, doing all kinds of this kind of foundational work for my online presence, copyrights, all this back stuff that I am now waking up every day going, holy crap, I have a long to-do list. I have so much to take care of. And um, I just think that it's very easy to get frozen by overwhelm. And I'm somebody who, when that happens, I just I, I don't ever really feel like my to-do list is done. And I think I have a certain attachment actually to that because it gives me a sense of purpose. Um, when I wake up every day, it's like my husband said to me, um, wow, you know, you know, you're working so hard right now during all of this and you're doing so much work. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I, I thought to myself, I don't know who I would be if I didn't have this work. A lot of my identity is wrapped up <laughs> in the work that I'm doing. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know how super healthy that is. <laughs> I think that um, one of the things that is a struggle for artists like me is that we are very uh, intimately tied up in 
the success of our careers and uh, the growth of our audience and our music. And sometimes I don't have great boundaries around that. But yeah, so all that to say, I still feel overwhelmed often by the things that I have left to do or the things that I want to do. And I think learning to deal with that sense of overwhelm and just take things one at a time is is a part of being a business owner and a and a musician. Is there anything that you've done to kind of set boundaries between your personal life and your business life? Yes and no. I would say I still have a lot of work to do in that department. On a daily basis, let me tell you the practical things that I try to do to set boundaries around my work life. Um, in the morning, uh, and I don't always do a good job of this, but for the most part, I try to get up, eat breakfast, make my coffee, and do my morning journaling and meditation practice before I check my email. Um, I don't sleep with my phone in my room. I turn off my notifications at night. And I go through times when I'm really good at setting these boundaries, and I go through other times when I'm not so good at it. And I would say that I'm not so good at it right now, full disclosure. Um, But the other thing I do, for the most part, is after like 5 or 6 p.m., I don't check my email and I don't do work stuff. Honestly, I don't have uh, a ton of bandwidth. To spend. I can't focus and work well for more than like, you know, five or six hours a day. Um, and even that's kind of a lot for me. I think so many artists view their music as their identity. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. If you know what your mission in life is, it's also important to have that kind of separation and say, it's like, you know, I put in a good however many hours today and that's not to try to reduce it to a nine to five because obviously we go into music to escape a nine to five nine to five but like having having that boundary where it's like okay you know i'm done i'm gonna spend time with my partner i'm gonna make dinner we're gonna watch a movie we're just gonna unplug for a while appreciate you bringing that up along those lines i want to talk about the lifestyle you have designed for yourself because i think that's something that kind of goes overlooked in music. Obviously, there is the aspect of, well, okay, I know what life I want. I know I want to do music full time. But taking that one step further and saying, okay, well, I want to do music and I know I want to live on the road and see the country. So I'm going to move into an RV. I think that's awesome. We often forget that building a business is to give you the life you want. It's not about saying, here's something I kind of want to do, and I'm just going to be a slave to whatever whatever the powers that be decide that's what I need to do. So if your passion is to travel the country and to live in an RV or hashtag van life, why not figure out a way to do that along with music? Yeah, I cannot, I could not agree with you more that we often get wrapped up in the pursuit of things that we think will make us feel a certain way rather than focus on just focusing on pursuing those qualities in our life. And a lot of the things that I really value in my life that I've been able to achieve through this lifestyle are a sense of peace and freedom and abundance, um, a sense of financial well-being, uh, a sense of autonomy over my days that I get to, I, I worked for lots of different kinds of bosses and I always thought is something wrong with me? 
uh, <laughs> because I struggle so much <laughs> with with people being my boss. Well, I realized that I, you know, with a, I would say there's a learning curve to being your own boss, and I've gotten much better at it. But I, I love running my own business. I love getting to say, you know. I was going to do all these things today, but I'm just going to throw it away and go for a hike and go hang out with my husband instead because I don't feel like it. And that's okay. I get to do that. (laughs) I get to do that because I manage, I manage my business with a very responsibly. And so I can do that some days. Uh, The other, the other quality of life that, that we both really wanted and have now is, is connection to nature and proximity to the wilderness and the outdoors and have chosen to spend lots of time out West. Um, that's sometimes, you know, I have to balance that with needing to stay connected (laughs) to the internet to do my job. But, um, yeah, it's been incredible. And, We have loved, you know, one more thing on this note. We've really loved the simplicity of living in in an RV. Now, we don't live in a van. I just have to clarify that because sometimes people go, oh, did you bring your van? And I'm like, you guys, I am married and I've been living for four years. I would never be here today if I'd been living in a van for four years. Like, we would not have made it through that. But we live in a <laughs> we live in a thirty six foot class A motorhome with two slide outs and lots of storage. Um, because we need space for all my music equipment. We need space for four seasons worth of clothing, you know, and uh, and gear and and. But all of that said, we have simplified our possessions down to really having only the things we absolutely love in the RV with us and um, frequently cleaning out, getting rid of clutter, getting rid of stuff we don't need. And it's incredible how much energy that releases for you. And I remember the houses that we had before where my husband lived and the things that we hung on to that were just kind of junk or things that we didn't really have much of a connection to or just kept just in case. And now I'm like, I never want to live that way again. Clutter, legitimately clutter in your environment is like a clutter in your mind and in your energetic field. <laughs> and, and I really feel like the simplicity of our space has created a good, clean feel to our lives. It just, it's very nice. So just as we wrap things up here, any last pieces of advice you would give to an artist that's just trying to get their sea legs in their music career? Yeah, I would say look around you and see who is beside you and who is doing it alongside you. Kind of who is your class, right? Like, like who's in the freshman class with you, you know? Because <laughs> I sort of feel like I'm not in the freshman class anymore, but I'm only a sophomore, you know? <laughs> um, but you have to look around and, like, join arms with those people and find the people who are trying, who are on your, who are have the same motivations as you and are in your genre and are working hard, you know, be accountable to each other. Ask each other for help. Um, give each other moral support. Help promote each other's projects. Plan a tour together. Um, you know, there's just, it's really important to help each other and to find your friends in the business because um, I think the business is full of ups and downs and 
the other piece of advice that I would have is that no just means not now. You know, you have to get you have to get really used to and comfortable with rejection or not getting picked because you're not going to get picked most of the time. There are plenty of competitions I entered or things that I wanted where I wasn't picked for the team per se. Um, I've put my name in the hat to open for all kinds of artists who I think to myself, oh, I'd be such a great opener for them. I'd love to go on tour with them. And, and I haven't gotten picked. And then I did get picked. And I was like, and this is the right fit in the right time. And, you know, it'll, it'll happen um, for you when it's your time. And everybody gets to have their time and sometimes you'll see other people getting what you want and go oh my god that's not fair I want that thing <laughs> you know and and it may not be your time yet and I think if you're able to absorb that with some humility and understand that it's very very normal and human to feel jealous but also to come back to that thing that you do that fire in your heart that thing that you know that's special about you and to remember that and not let that get, uh, you know, distinguished by comparing yourself to other people. I think this is really important. We spend a lot of time on our feeds on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I used to think, oh, I need to follow all these musicians and follow all these friends of mine. And I, I would sometimes check my feeds and just scroll and start to feel jealous or overwhelmed like oh my god look at all these people they're working so hard and they're getting this and that just mute those people you don't need to see what everybody else is doing all the time it doesn't make me feel good uh my ego is not strong enough to handle that shit and so i think it's really really okay and really healthy to recognize that if there are people in your feeds who you find yourself comparing yourself to that's not that's not good for you that's not going to help you write better music or do a better job you follow your friends with cute new babies who have nothing to do with the music business because i just i really had to be careful about how much time i was spending watching other people succeed on instagram it's just it's just not a great use of your energy go use that song Go use that time to write a song instead. Um, use that time to go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Just pay attention to how things make you feel. And it doesn't mean you're bad if you feel a little jealous or you feel a little overwhelmed when you see other people's stuff. Just mute it. Just mute it. <laughs> well, Emily, thanks so much for coming on and, and talking with us about your career and giving us some really awesome insights. Really appreciate it. You are so welcome. This has been a total joy. Thanks, David. So that's it for my conversation with Emily Scott Robinson today. Just real quick before we go, if you're working on new music, we'd love to help prepare you for maximum success when you come to release that. And sign up for our free workshop, Rock the Release, at evergreenrecords.com slash workshop. Going to teach you how to get on blogs and playlists and shared by influencers. evergreenrecords.com slash workshop. Also, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts would help us out a lot. But for now, that is it, and we will see you next time.